So my goal was to tell you a bunch of dad jokes, but I realized that I, I don't know very many funny ones. All I know are the ones like, uh, what's brown and sticky? It's a, a stick, yeah. So I was wondering then, I know, it's so bad. It's like you're American going into the bathroom, you're American coming out of the bathroom. What are you, in the bathroom? European. Gosh, that was... <laughs> They're not... The sarcastic laughter, son. That's uh, beyond where we need to go. Good morning and welcome to Awaken Church. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Frank, and I'm excited to be able to share with you all this morning to be able to be a part with you today. It's been a crazy week for our family in particular. We just got back this past Friday after spending a week at uh, LT, which is a week-long leadership training program for the youth hosted by a number of different churches in our region and in the Northeast region. And so when you compare, when you uh, put together and combine this, uh, the torrid pace that they run, sleeping in dorm beds, and I mean like they were small, I felt like my shoulders were the width of these beds, you know, and, and then you're using communal bathrooms again, that brought back some memories, uh, eating foods that your body is not used to. Uh, you can understand how it can wear you out, especially for those of us who are a bit older, my wife and I, and Vashi and Gary, and that was a challenge. And plus, I was asked to teach the two longest sessions, which was a huge blessing to be able to be a part of that, but uh, it took its toll on the prep side. It took up pretty much all the extra free time that was there, and my voice got run down a little bit, and so I'm trying not to push too hard, so I'm a bit quieter or deeper than usual. I apologize. So we got home Friday, and we slept a lot. I uh, think we got back around 4.30. I slept from 5.30 to 10. Woke up, went outside wondering why it was so quiet. It's because everyone else was sleeping on the couch, sprawled out on the floor. And then I ate dinner. I went back to bed and woke up at 11 a.m. yesterday and started prepping for this morning. So that's kind of where our week has been. That being said, I am really excited about the opportunity to share with you all this morning. So... As, uh, so what we're doing today is we're launching our final series for our Jesus Summer. And as those of you who've been with us know, we have spent this summer prioritizing the idea of getting to know Jesus better with the, with the premise that knowing Jesus should be what drives our doing for Jesus. And that seems really logical, but it's, it's amazing how oftentimes we can flip that as individuals, as churches, and just kind of get caught up in all the doing for Jesus as a way of knowing Jesus. And, and that's not necessarily bad. It's just kind of not quite the order that God has designed for us, and we can fall into that trap. And so what we did is we launched this summer with the intent of not prioritizing action steps that we're going to take out and go and do, which I know for those of you who are a little OCD, you're like, tell me what to do with my life right now. You know, it's just kind of more, let's discover who Jesus is and allow that, drive, that knowing to drive our individual doing and corporate doing as a church body. So we spent the first series going through the life of Jesus and looking at the things that uh, were unique about his life and uh, how he declared himself to be both son of God and son of man and what that meant. And then we moved and transitioned from that series into the words of Jesus. And more specifically, what were certain things that Jesus said about himself that was revealing about his character and the nature of who he is. And this week, we're going to close out with the last series, uh, four weeks, for the next four weeks, talking about the audacious acts of Jesus. 
We've, many of us have gone through the different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so we know that Jesus did a lot of great work, a number of different miracles and miraculous signs and all that. But there are some of them that stand out. And they stand out because in doing them, Jesus was pointing an arrow to himself, to his mission, to his purpose, to the very nature of who he was, right? And I think these are the ones that we're going to take some time to highlight. And so uh, this morning, we're going to start this series off with the story of Jesus in a boat. But before we dive in, I want to remind you all that this is an Awakened Q&A series, which means that over the course of the teaching, if there's anything that strikes you, comment, uh, we want you to send a text in with your question, comment, thought, insight, whatever it might be. And at the end of the teaching time, we'll carve out a few minutes and tackle that Q&A as best we can. So with that, Jesus in a boat. It's a story that's probably familiar to a number of you. Hopefully, as you're looking at it a bit differently, and again, look at it through the lens of what Jesus is attempting to reveal about himself in these passages. Matthew chapter 4, I'm sorry, Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lake shore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables. Jesus was teaching on the lake shore. A crowd started to gather, and the crowd got to be much larger than anticipated. And it was difficult for everyone to see him, to hear him. So he gets back, gets onto a boat in the water, and then starts to preach and teach, which I find is amazing considering there's no microphone, there's no audio projection, and yet Jesus is able to speak to what the Bible says is a very large crowd without having to amplify his voice over the sounds of nature. Although this was Jesus we're talking about. He could have just said, Shh, no bugs, no birds, quiet, you know? That's what I do with my family when my kids are talking, you know? And Jesus begins teaching them a number of great parables and lessons throughout the day until evening time comes. And that's where we'll pick up the story again. So that was the first verses of Mark 4. You're going to see this extended passage of all the things that Jesus taught. And then in verse 35, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed but soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. A fierce storm arose. For those of us who are in here, we understand exactly what that looks like because we live in Florida. And so we know what fierce storms look like. There's a lot of rain, there's a lot of wind, and sometimes if you combine the two, the wind actually flows sideways. We've got a tree in our front yard, for those of you who've been over to our house, that's like almost a 45-degree angle that happened because of one of the hurricanes that ended up coming through Jacksonville. So we know what strong winds, fierce storms can do, but we have homes to hide in. We have shelters we can go to. We have cars that we can park somewhere. The disciples were in a boat on open water, that's a problem. 
And so even though many of the, the disciples that were in the boat were experienced because they were fishermen, they knew what it was like to be in a boat on water, even in the midst of storms, this was a big one. So much so that water starts to come into the boat. Jesus, well, we'll go ahead and just read it. Verse 38, Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teachers, don't you care, I'm sorry, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? So first of all, I want to stop for a moment and just say that I think it's pretty amazing that not only was Jesus sleeping in the back of the boat, but he had his head on a pillow. Isn't it neat? I love that Mark decided to add that in because we know exactly how that feels after we've been, so Jesus has been working all day preaching and teaching, projecting with his voice all day long. And what happens to us, too, when we work a good long day, a good satisfying work, first thing we want to do is come home, take a nap, curl up with a good pillow under our heads. And that was comforting to know that Jesus felt the same way. And I love that Mark added this touch because it's almost like by adding the fact that he was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a pillow, it's like Mark is emphasizing here how un worried and how unconcerned Jesus was with the coming storm. Unconcerned about what's going to happen next. And what happens next, of course, is that the disciples, after the storm hits and is literally on top of them, they go to Jesus, start shaking him and waking up and saying, Jesus, teacher, do you not care? Jesus, don't you care? That's a question every single person in this room, I bet, can relate to. Because we've asked that question of Jesus at some point in our lives. When we face difficulties, when we're going through trials, when we're in the midst of our own storms, we're asking, Jesus, don't you notice what's going on here? Jesus, don't you care? Jesus, don't you care that I am drowning in debt right now? Jesus, don't you care that I'm drowning in homework, that I'm drowning at work, that I have, I have all these expectations on me that I have to live up to? Jesus, don't you care that I'm drowning in grief? Jesus, don't you care that I'm drowning under my parental responsibilities? And on and on, we can keep adding on, right? But Jesus, don't you care? If Jesus is real, and if Jesus really does see all of my trials and all of my different burdens, then why is he not helping me? Why isn't he showing me that he's real? And we can get frustrated. We can lose faith because Jesus isn't responding. We can wonder, if, is Jesus really there? Or maybe even sometimes we wonder, no, I know Jesus is there. He's just asleep at the wheel. Well, here we are in the middle of a story where the disciples are facing a very real life threatening storm, and Jesus is literally sleeping on them, right? Head on a pillow, and they go and shake him and wake him up. So before we move on to the rest of the story, I want to take us on a little tangent, on a little sidebar. I usually don't, but I want to with this one, because when I read this story, I read something a little bit different than I think most of us typically do when we read it, right? And I want to, I want to mention it because some of you might have thought the same thing. We tend to read this story, and the traditional route of reading this story is the disciples got caught in the storm, 
Jesus is sleeping, and all of a sudden the disciples are in this place of seeing the wind, seeing the waves, seeing the trials, seeing the different challenges, and they have to wake Jesus. They have to deal with a God who's sleeping rather than helping. And that's kind of the, the line we take. And, and I was reading this story, and again, when I'm prepping, I read things over and over and just kind of come at it from a number of different directions. And one of the questions that came up to me was uh, that I was, as I was going through this is why the disciples didn't choose to wake up Jesus earlier. Why the disciples had to wait until it became a crisis before finally calling on Jesus. Because that's what we do as well. When we run into a problem, when we run into a trial, when we run into a challenge, our first response is almost always to first try and tackle it in our own strength. We try and solve it ourselves, and then after we've done everything we can, then we go to Jesus and ask for help. That's what the disciples are doing. They saw the storm coming, right? Again, these are experienced fishermen. They didn't have the weather channel or the weather app. Back in the day, they learned to interpret weather when it was coming, right? And so they saw the storm clouds. And what did they try and do first? It doesn't say, but what did they try? Let's row faster. Guys, there's a storm coming. It's on its way. Jesus sleep in the back. We've got this. Let's just row a little faster and figure out the shortest, the quickest way to land. And that's what they did. And then when the storm started hitting them more and more, it's like, all right, we're starting to take on water. We need to sign, yo, uh, Judas, you can't. You're not doing anything else. Start bailing water, buddy. You know, start bail as fast as you can and get the water out faster than it's coming in. And, and let's dump some of the extra weight, dump some of the ballast. And, and so they're trying to figure out all the things they can do to try to get to dry land first. And then it wasn't until the disciples had done everything they knew how to do and realized that we're going under that they decided to go and wake up Jesus. And I wonder if things would have been different if they'd simply woken Jesus up as soon as they saw the ominous clouds. I'm willing to bet that it probably would have ended up a very different story, and Jesus would not have reproved them the same way he does here. Verse 39. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence. Be still. Suddenly the wind stopped, and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. Who is this man? That is the question, and that is the reason why we are talking about this story. That terrifying cry who is this man is the reason why we're highlighting this miracle. And you have to understand the context. Jesus, are, So these disciples have been with Jesus for an extended period of time now. They've seen Jesus heal the sick. They've seen Jesus cast out the demons. They've seen Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. They've seen Jesus cleansing a leper. They've seen Jesus healing a paralytic and restoring a withered hand. They've seen all of these miracles already. These all are all amazing miracles. As a matter of fact, any one of these miracles would have been enough to say, all right, that authenticates that Jesus is a prophet. He comes from God, and we should listen to what he has to say. 
These miracles are the reason why Jesus has a crowd that's following him, wanting to hear the message being taught by the miracle giver. Because if Jesus can perform these miracles, then he must really be who he says he is. And if he really is who he says he is, or a prophet of God, then we must listen to him. And then there's this miracle. Jesus silences the storm, and he stills the waves. Not in front of a crowd, but with the disciples and the few that happened to follow behind. And the response to this miracle terrified the disciples and caused them to ask, who is this man? Why? What was so different about this miracle for them? So I shared earlier that our family spent this past week at high school LT. Along, uh, so our family, along with the Nemechek girls and Vashi, the Sowell girls and Gary, and Paxson, who is the lone ranger in a sea of estrogen. So sorry, buddy. Appreciate that. Uh, anyway, so during this high school LT, uh, for the past you know, seven days it took place, during the afternoons, they were usually set aside for the students to be a part of some type of outreach, going out, sharing the gospel, praying for different people in some way, shape, or form. And so on one of those days, the teams went to a neighborhood. And what they did is they went to the neighborhood, and we'd done something similar as a church, uh, you know, just going out and praying for our neighbors. So they just went to the neighborhood, just knocked on doors, and uh, asked the, if anyone answered, hey, is there something? So this is who we are. We're part of a church community. We're a part of a youth community. And we just want to know if there's anything that we could be praying for you about. And if they said yes, then go ahead and pray with them. And if they said no, then you just move on. But if they said yes, and then you got a chance to pray with them, and they were open to having a continued conversation, then the youth were taught, right? We taught them how to transition from praying with them to how to introduce the gospel to them. And so during one of these initiatives, Isabel was part of a team that went out along with two other girls, Paulina and Kayla, and they were out knocking on doors and inviting people to pray with them. And they happened to come upon the home of a single mom. And her name was Ashley Marie. And her daughter was a two-year-old Cadence. So if you, your mama and you got a two-year-old or somewhere close, you're like, all right, I can get that. Single mom, two-year-old named Cadence. And not only were Isabel, Paulina, and Kayla able to pray for her, but they were able to share the gospel with her. And Ashley Marie accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior that day. Praise the Lord, right? Amen. So that, all on its own, is a story worth telling. But that story is just the backdrop to the story I really want to tell. So after getting saved, Ashley Marie just was, ended up talking with the girls, and she was telling them a story of something that had happened to her just a few days before. And what had happened a few days before, for you guys to know, is Ashley... Uh, was, is a recovering drug addict. And so she told the girls that just a few days before, she was having a really bad day. And she decided that to get through the really bad day, she was going to go out and buy some drugs. And so she bumbled up her little daughter, Cadence, and went out the door. But after she went out the door, the wind was blowing really hard that day, and Cadence was having a hard time breathing. She turned her face into her mom's chest and just couldn't breathe really well. And so Ashley Marie is like, okay, well, let me go ahead and just put her down for a nap, and I'll go back out after she wakes up from her nap. So she goes back inside, puts Cadence down, and then after Cadence wakes up, she bundles up again and gets ready to go back out to go 
get drugs. And this time when she goes out the door, there's more than wind, there's now rain. And it just came suddenly, like not just rain, a thunderstorm. I mean, we were there, it was like lightning, it was like boom, even inside the dorms we felt it. It was pouring rain. And Ashley ended up going back inside. And when she went inside, she was telling the girls, it's really crazy because this happened just a few days ago, and I felt like with the wind and the storm, God was telling me to not go outside, to not do this to my little girl. And so she felt like God told her, don't do this. And then, so a few days later, now that she hears this knock on the door, and she's like, I'm not, she didn't connect the two stories, she's like, I'm not going to go answer the door. But she looks out the window, and she sees these three girls, and she felt God say, go talk to them. And that was the reason why she answered the door, that was the reason why the girls were able to pray for her, and that is the reason why she got saved. God still speaks today through the wind and the storm, does he not? Amen. Amen. That was amazing. I loved hearing that story. And then to top it all off, it's like the cherry on top. For those of you who know my daughter, Isabel, she is the practical one in the family. She's the cynic. She's the pragmatic. She's a little OCD. She's the one who says everything has to be done a right way, a very specific way, right? And so as they were driving back to the dorms, my daughter, Isabel, was looking out the window and thinking about what had happened with Ashley Marie. And my daughter, who takes things very literally, saw a literal sign on the lawn that said, thank you, Jesus. And it was like, my daughter's like, God spoke to me, Dad, because God knows how I am, and he gave me a literal sign that said, I should thank Jesus and praise God for what just happened. And so I praise the Lord, Isabel. Yes, he did. Amen. Right? Our God is a God of miracles even today. God still speaks through the wind and the waves and the storms. We simply have to understand and learn how to listen. Who is this man, Jesus? Here's what I want you to remember from this story. So if you've been zoning out a bit, focus in now, right? This is what I want you to remember. There is no challenge or trial that you can imagine that would push God to his limits. There is no challenge, there is no trial that you can possibly imagine that will push God to his limits. And I think that is what amazed the disciples in this boat. Their eyes were open. Before, it's like, all right, yeah, Jesus, you can heal people, but other prophets in the Old Testament healed people as well. You restored it with your hands, sure. Others, shoot, even Elijah had, you know, a sacrifice and fire come down from heaven. So yes, other prophets have done the same thing, but when Jesus got up and spoke and stilled the storm, like literally imagine yourself in the midst of a crazy, insane hurricane, and all of a sudden Jesus comes up beside you and says, stop, and then everything stops. Can you imagine to realize that Jesus is not only a miracle worker, but he commands the wind, the waves, and the storm. What is there that Jesus cannot do? That's the question they're asking. That's why they're terrified. What is it that Jesus can't do? Who is he? And the answer, the most important answer that every Christian has to know when it comes to this question of what is there that Jesus cannot do, the answer we must know is nothing. There is nothing Jesus cannot do. 
So who is this Jesus then who can do anything in your boat taking a nap, right? So when Jesus is, is, again, Jesus, the Jesus who can do whatever he wants. So when Jesus is in your life, in your boat, and he is taking a nap, what should that tell us? What it should have told the disciples, it should have been a sign to them that you have nothing to worry about. If you're freaked out and panicked and you've got Jesus in the boat and he's taking a nap, what he's telling you is, hey, relax. It's not that big a deal. Sure, there's a storm coming. Sure, there's a violent storm. Sure, we're taking on water. But Jesus is in the boat. What is the worst thing you can imagine happening? Trust me, whatever that worst thing is, it is not beyond God's ability to save, rescue, or redeem you. So what if more water gets in the boat? So what? What if the boat capsizes? So what? What if we all end up in the water? So what? Then Jesus will just levitate you up out of the water, shake you off and dry you off, and call down a freaking aircraft carrier that you guys can get onto to get yourselves to the other side. Do you really imagine that's beyond what Jesus can do? If you go in the water and you can't swim and you drown, so what? Jesus will resurrect you. Bam! You know, you come back to life. Is there anything you can possibly imagine, any worst-case scenario that is beyond Jesus' ability to redeem? So we're going to start wrapping up. So if now you have any questions, comments, or thoughts on anything I've shared, go ahead and text them to awakenqna at gmail.com. And as you're doing that, I'm going to share my final thought with you. If you are right now in the midst of a difficult circumstance, a trying circumstance, here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine the absolute worst thing that can possibly happen to you. And then I want you to ask this question. Is God powerful enough to save me, to redeem me from even the worst case scenario I can imagine? And if the answer is yes, and it better be yes, then let go of your anxiety. Let go of your worry. Let go of your fear. Trust me, there is no situation, there is no circumstance that you can possibly imagine that would cause God to say, hmm, that's a tricky problem. I don't know if I can solve that one. Does that make sense? There's nothing, your imagination is not big enough to comprehend a situation where God would be pushed to his limits and think, ooh, yeah, you're right, that's a tricky problem. I wouldn't know what to do then either, right? God will never be in that situation with whatever you could possibly imagine. And if that is true, right, if we believe that that is true, then, I mean, really believe it. Not just here believe it, but here believe it. Then you can watch and see God do the most amazing things in and through your life. The trick has always been us, right? We're always the limitation. We're always the problem. What is it that we're setting our eyes on? If our eyes are set on only what we can do, then we're going to limit what God can do in our lives to only what we can do. 
That's where the disciples were in the boat. When the storm first started to come, their first thought was not, let's wake up Jesus. Their first thought is, let's row harder. Let's row faster. It wasn't until the crisis came that they finally turned to Jesus. And for us, oftentimes, we do the same thing. Stop fixing your eyes on you. Because when you fix your eyes on you, all you're going to see are your limitations. When you set your eyes on what God can do, when you fix your eyes on the creator of the universe, the giver of every good thing, right? When our eyes are set on Christ, then there are no limits to what God can do in your life. There are no limits to what God will do in your life. Amen? Amen. All right. 